ladies and gentlemen, now hosting the Rizzo cast, put your hands together for Steven Rizzotto. What's going on, everybody? And welcome. My name is Steven Rizzotto. I cover the San Francisco Giants for SFA, and I'm the host of RizzoCast, a podcast that features current and big league players, coaches, fans, media, and others who are regarded as some of the brightest minds around the game of baseball. We're coming to you live from the podcast studio inside the newsroom of Golden Gate Express, the student-run newspaper at San Francisco State University. Today's guest is Tucker Ward, a certified MLBPA agent and a former Arizona Diamondbacks minor league right-handed pitcher. You may recognize the last name. Tucker is the son of 12-year MLB veteran and current big league hitting coach Turner Ward. We have an awesome conversation touching on the MLB postseason, Arizona Fall League, his playing career, making the transition to becoming an agent, advising collegiate and professional players, the day-to-day operations of the job, building a clientele, representing Bryce Eldridge, and so much more. This is episode number 152, and let's get started. All right, we are back on RizzoCast, and we are pleased to be joined by Tucker Ward, and Tucker is nice enough nice enough to join the show. Tucker, how's it going? Welcome. Good, Stephen. Thanks for having me, man. I, I appreciate it. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I guess before we get started, I have to bring up the, uh, the MLB postseason that's going on. Um, how much of the postseason is kind of locked into your schedule? How much are you locked into these matchups and kind of what's going on around the league at this point in, in October? Well, you know, that's a you know two-folded question, right? Like one, just being a being a baseball guy, loving the sport, you know, having passion for the game, you know, being in it my whole life, always watching, you know, watching all the games. It's kind of this is it's October baseball, best time of the year, right? And then, um, you know, from an agent perspective, obviously always watching as well, you know, always watching the guys, you know, you know, unfortunately I don't have any guys in the playoffs this year. Um, hopefully next year that'll change. I'm sure it will, but always just, you know, being a fan is, you know, is a person and an agent just watching all of them, you know, my, my dad's a big league coach, you know, um, so, you know, he played for 16 years. So we've always just been baseball people. So playoff time, we're always watching. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously it's your job to, you know, keep up with the status of baseball and everything that's going on. And, um, you know, I, I know a lot of your, your involvement is in the minor leagues, maybe the collegiate level possibly. Uh, but are you still kind of ingrained during the course of like a 162 game season? Because it's a grind and baseball, unlike any of the other sports like football, you know, we see it every Sunday, right. For, for a handful of weeks, basketball, there's days off baseball. It's, you know, 162 games with, some days off here and there it's a long season are you able to kind of like pick and choose the games you watch do you take some breaks uh it's different from obviously when you were a player so how do, how do you go about you know kind of watching throughout the entire regular season yeah well so there's there's for even as agents there's home games and away games right my home games is when i'm at home and i'm you know i got mlb the mlb app on my tv then i got the milb app on the computer or ipad whatever it is you know box scores loading um and then away games for me is when I actually go and watch the games in person. So, yeah, I mean, 162, it is a long season. It's, it's um, I've got the easy job, right? It's hard for the players. 162 is a player. That's, that's a grind. You know, they, they're having the 162 plus the, you know, spring training for a month and a half before. Then playoffs. Some guys go and play winter ball. So, those are the guys grinding. I mean, it's it's the dream job when 
during the season, you're really just getting to watch games and check in on guys and see how they're doing. And, you know, they have a good game. You get to talk to them after, congratulate them. They have a bad game. You got to, you know, deal with that side of life and tell them, you know, hey, that's you had a bad one, but good thing we play 162. Like there's you got a new series coming up, new game, new outing, whatever it may be. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, man, you signed up for it uh, yep, yep, <laughs> for the yep. long haul. Uh, and I, I want to ask pitch clock. I mean, this is the first season of the pitch clock. Um, you know, it's the first time we've seen it in the postseason. Uh, have Have you had any, you know, I guess it's been in the minor leagues for for a few years now. Have you had any feedback on kind of how that's gone and, and from your, your players, anybody you represent, anybody you're familiar with? And uh, how has this gone, I guess, the first year of it in, in the big leagues? I think um, I think most players are for it, right? Like you know, this is a this is a game of change and adapting anyway. You know, you gotta as you move up the minor league levels, get to the big leagues, go through the draft. You're always adapting to a different level of competition, and so with baseball guys by nature have to be able to adapt to survive in this game. So I think the pitch clock, a lot of guys just adapted to it. I think a lot like it. The only time I hear guys complain about the pitch clock is the night after they pitch and they got a violation for it, right? Mm-hmm. So. That's really the only time I they, they don't, you know, and I don't blame them, right? So they're frustrated and, oh, man, this thing's stupid or whatever, right? But for majority, you know, 90% of the time, guys are pretty happy with it. Yeah, no, I, I kind of get that sense too. How would Tucker Ward do with the pitch clock on the mound? I mean, let, let's hear it. Would you deal with it fine? Were you guys that took some time in between pitches? Tell me about how maybe you would have gone about that. Man, I, I was more um, more of a fast worker, right? You know, I like to, I like to get it and go. Um, so I, I think I would have been fine with it. I really do. Especially being a reliever, like, you know, was, I was always out of the stretch anyway, not really ever out of the wind up. So I think old me probably would have, I would have been like a lot of my players. I would have been happy with it until I got called for it. And then I would have thought it was dumb, you know, so that's kind of, that's definitely how I would have handled it. Yeah. I guess the, the interesting thing to me is that more guys don't get dinged when they're running in from the bullpen. Cause when you're running in and you take too much time with your warmup pitches, you get dinged with the uh, with the you know an automatic ball or something. So I mean, might, yeah. as, might as well take the bullpen card. So um, for sure, we'll for see sure. how that evolves. Um, who do you have winning the World Series? Does anybody stand out? Man, I, hard to hard to root against Atlanta. That's what they're doing. You know, Very like hard. I mean, the double plate is <laughs> the end of the other night was in Chris. It's just always something, you know. Um, so uh, that that's my pick. Yeah, no, that's it's hard to bet against the Braves. They have a lineup yep. that's historically good. Their pitching's pretty good too. So I think I'm yep. gonna be right there with you. Uh yep. you mentioned just now before we got on here that you were in Arizona for a little bit, a few days to to watch some action in the Arizona Fall League. Um what's the vibe down there? Cause you know, a, a lot of people's attention are in the postseason and they're not really focused on what's going on with the fall league and, and the future of baseball. Um, I know I have to remind myself that it's going on and check in on what, you know, Giants yeah. prospects are doing. So what's that kind of like for you trying to, trying to, you know, head down there, experience the Arizona Fall League? Yeah, man. It's, I mean, it's something as, you know, as an agent I go to every year. I always look forward to it. You know, this year, you know, I had five guys out in the Fall League. So I went to go see all them and, you know, check in and stuff like that. And it's, it's an exciting time for them because when you go to the Fall League, you, you did something that impressed your organization and they're wanting to send, send you against some, you know, the other minor league prospects to see, you know, how you're standing up against them. One stat I actually learned this year at the fall league, and don't quote me on it, but I want to say it was like 65% of the guys in the fall league last year made their debut the following year. 
Wow. Um, so, I mean, that's pretty good numbers. I mean, that's over over half the guys making a debut the, the following year, which is that's impressive. You know, that's that's impressive. I didn't I didn't find that you know data myself. So, if someone you know blasts me for being wrong on that, I apologize. But I had actually had a scout telling me that. So that's it's exciting for those guys. They know that they're getting a, you know wear the big league uniform and be in the stadium and there's fans and good competition and meet new players. So it follows a really exciting time. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll get that figured out. I have like a, a whole crew of fact checkers. No, I'm just kidding. It's just me in here. Um, <laughs> no, I won't do that to you. But I trust you. I trust your word. It, it does sound actually right. Um, and and do you know the selection process behind you know guys that pick to go into the fall league? Because I know you know before you know a lot of high profile guys end up end up playing down there. Is it guys that need extra work? Maybe battled through injuries who didn't pitch enough innings during the regular season, didn't get enough at bats. What from your interpretation is how guys get selected to play in the fall league? I think it's um, a lot of different factors. I think one is, like you said, injury. Guys get hurt. They're going to need some more time. They need some more innings or need more at-bats. They send them in. Um, some is just kind of a prospect status. They're wanting to get their you know prospects more at-bats, more innings, see, see where they're stacking up, how they look. Um, a lot of it is protection year guys, you know, guys that are going to be 40-man eligible the, you know, that following winter. So they're sending them out there to help make a decision on – protecting them or not so a lot of different a lot of different facets a lot of different ideas on why teams send certain guys to the fall league i always tell i always tell my guys in my opinion it's never a bad thing to go to the fall league yeah no without that more baseball what's what's the uh what's yeah. the best thing about more baseball especially yeah. if uh um there's a chance you could get claimed in that rule five draft and you end up on a yeah. big roster come opening day so uh yeah and, and the only time you really don't you know guys that have good years that don't go as starting pitchers just because they're, you know, maxed out on innings. So it's kind of, they threw 110 innings, really don't don't need any more work or so. So, you, you know, you get to see a lot of the relievers or starters that miss time. And then obviously hitters, you know, hitters can aren't as regimented as pitchers are. So getting to, um, getting to see a lot of different guys do different things out there, which is always fun as well. Yeah, absolutely. And Tucker, let's get into your career just a little bit. First off, you're an Alabama guy. Um, Oh yeah. You went to high school and in, in college in Mobile and your dad is yep. of course you kind of mentioned it, former big league outfielder Turner Ward, who's also now a, a hitting coach in the big leagues. And you were born kind of a few years in his big league career. Tell me a little bit about growing up in Alabama and kind of beginning that love affair of, of baseball. Man, it's um well one, you won't meet a bigger state of Alabama fan than me. I love it. You know, I, I live in Nashville now, not in Mobile anymore. I go back every chance I get, you know, love it down there. Um, my, the road I grew up on my, the house, my mom grew up in is like two miles away from it. And the house my dad grew up in is like four miles away from it. So, you know, close tight knit family down there, but I was fortunate enough, you know, growing up, I traveled a ton. My dad, um, you know, got drafted in 1986, made his debut. I believe it was in 89. And then I was born in 92 and he played all the way to 2001. So, you know, the first eight years of my life, I'd be in mobile and I'd, go to school during the off season. But then during the season, I was living in Pittsburgh, you know, or Arizona or Philly or Milwaukee, Toronto, wherever he was playing at the time. So kind of grew up traveling around, getting to, you know, spend my, my baseball seasons following him around and getting to go to the field with him and just kind of, you know, learning the business of baseball. I'll never forget. Um, I was um, seven years old and six years old. One of my earliest memories. I think it's kind of what promoted me to be an um, agent where my dad was playing in Pittsburgh and one of the players came in, you know, with this big fake check. 
and he was all celebrating and I, you know, I didn't understand what it was. And I remember asking my dad, I'm like, Hey man, like, why'd you get the big fake check? And what's the, why are you so happy about it? And he was like, he just won his arbitration case. And so, you know, and so I was like, well, what's that? And then, you know, I remember that early in my life and mentioned arbitration. I don't remember how he explained it to me a long time ago, but I just remember the word arbitration. And then, you know, that was at six, seven years old. Then you fast forward, you know, um, you know, 20, 20 years later, 25 years later, and I'm 31. And it's like, ah, now I understand what arbitration is and why he was so excited. So no, great, you know, great going up down there. Great going up in professional baseball, you know, got to go to high school there, college there, um, sports enough to get drafted by the Diamondbacks, played, you know, a short stint with, with Arizona, um, you know, got to play professionally. But even when I was playing, my backup plan was always to get in the agency game, per se, right? If, whether I played for two years professionally or, you know, 25 years, I wanted to be an agent after. I like the, I like the relationship side of it. I like to, you know, help guys along the process. You know, obviously, I grew up in it. My dad played professionally for 16 years, you know, been coaching, I think, for 15 or 16. It's been, been a long time. So when I tell people he was drafted, you know, drafted in 86, he's still coaching to this day. I've legitimately dealt with this stuff my entire life. I've been around it. So, you know, it's exciting, especially even kind of a full circle moment, um, you know, six years ago and two years ago when my dad got the, when he was, uh, got the hitting coach job in Cincinnati and being able to help him with his contract and do his deal and all that stuff. And then, go, you know, going to St. Louis two years ago and helping with that deal, you know, so it's kind of a full circle moment of getting the, um, you know, where we started and now where we're at now where I'm on the business side, he's still, you know, on the coaching side, but being able to work with my dad has been a pretty cool thing. Yeah. Without that, you guys are both doing a great job and, and your pops played it with six big league organizations and, and you mentioned the travel and you mentioned, you know, probably getting to see a lot of cool places that other kids your age wouldn't get to see. Uh, but there was also the other aspect, the flip side of him kind of maybe being away for a lot a lot of the time did that did that kind of affect you at all you know being away in the travel that he had to endure as as you were coming up yeah i mean it always um especially high school right like it's kind of everyone you know knew who my dad was in our you know hometown like baseball you know played in the big leagues coach i think maybe three times my dad saw me play in high school it wasn't very much but you know still talking talking to me and my dad have a great relationship i talk to him every day you know we talk about games and all that stuff but the um the the one part I do remember my professional debut, you know, in rookie ball, I actually versus the Giants. It was versus I was with Arizona. It was versus the Giants. My rookie ball debut was um that's back when the draft was in June, not July, how it is now. But my professional debut was at the Giants old complex, not Papago. I don't remember the name of the old one, but you know what I'm talking about. You've yeah. probably been to it. Um, I made my professional debut that day on Father's Day. And my dad just happened to have an off day and be in Arizona. So he was actually there for my professional debut. So that, you know, playing memory, that's probably my best one. You know, the debut, getting the, um, I think I gave up a double to the left-handed hitter, you know, which that probably wasn't great. But you know, got a strike out, but my dad got to be there for my debut. So that was kind of like, that was, um, it was like, hey, it's okay. He missed all of it. He got to be in my pro debut. Like that was, that was special. Yeah, no, I'm sure. And have you seen Papa go, by the way? Like, geez. Oh, unbelievable. <laughs> That's insane. Unbelievable. That's probably better than most, like, big league, like, complexes. Dude, it's crazy. We, um, Bryce Elders did a pre-draft workout there yeah. before the draft. Um, we, you know, we went out there. I went with him and all that, you know, everything. And we got a tour of it and checked it all out and the indoor. Man, they they didn't miss a beat on, on that place. It's unbelievable. It's insane. Yeah, all the, yeah. all the, the amenities there. Um, 
you mentioned the pressure of kind of being like a, a, a son of a big leaguer and, and being a hometown kid and kind of everybody knowing the name. Uh, did that, you know, were, were those lofty expectations? Like, was that too much to bear at times or did you kind of get used to it after a while? No, you, you kind of get used to it, right? It's all, it's all mindset, right? Like, you know, um, the old quote, pressure makes diamonds. You know, if, yeah. you, if you don't want pressure, stay cold. But, um, you know, so there were, and it was kind of, there was, I was probably, the reality of it, I probably at times when I was younger, put more pressure on myself than there actually was. Um, but I don't think it was too, you know, I'm glad I went through it first because I have a little brother. Um, my little brother's freshman in college, played at Northwest Florida State. You know, going through his like whole travel ball circuit in high school, like being able to like, I've lived it. I know the expectations and all that stuff. And, you know, and you, you meet my dad and there's no, he's not like the, you know, the hard old dad that's, you know, making you do this or that. Like he's, you know, he's just a good dude, chill dude, like help you any way he can. So it's not like it was ever forced from him or anything like that as well. And then um, luckily my, my mom, my mom was always there for all of us, right? You know, she was fortunate enough for my dad coaching. She could be a stay-at-home mom, so. She never missed a game, never missed anything like that. So having the support system of her, that was always a big part of it too. Like even when you know you had a bad game or whatever, it's like you get in the car, it's like, all right, well at least at least mom's here, you know. So it was she she was a big part of that. So I would I wouldn't say the pressure was too bad or anything like that. Yeah, I just watched a a video on on Twitter about this uh, this kid was taking BP with his dad, and the dad was like, "We're going home because you can't hit." And I was like, Jesus, <laughs> like, yeah. the kid was like seven years old. So good to know that that was not Turner Ward as a, uh... no, not at all. Not <laughs> at all. Uh, that's good. Yeah. So drafted twice by the Diamondbacks and yep. a good thing, that, uh, you know, one thing that I do on the show is I always ask people for their, their draft stories and, you know, some are different, you know, some people watch it on MLB network, right? Some people yeah. are drafted in the later rounds to the point where they get a text or a phone call, or they just simply see their name pop up on a screen. So during both those moments, kind of fill me in on where you were when you, you got, I guess, notified that you were drafted twice. Yeah. So the um, high school was a little bit different. I actually thought I was going to go to the Cubs in high school. Um, that's what I was kind of talking to the most and all that stuff. I did. Um, I think they might still do it. It was called the Goodwill series. It was like a team USA versus, um, um, Australia and Japan, and it was played in Australia back then. That was like one of the, the pre-draft, you know, circuit things. Dante Bichette Jr., we were teammates there, and Dante Bichette was one of the coaches. Um, name you may, you know, may remember Bo Bichette's doing pretty good right now. I remember Bo being there, and he was like five, six years younger than all of us. And, <laughs> but um, he hit BP with us, and he had popped in, you know, at 12 years old or whatever it was. Did wow. he have the hair? But uh, oh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, um, but – the high school draft, it was kind of, it was nerve wracking. I knew I'd go later because back then there were no slots. It was, um, I was committed to a junior college. So there's a whole, that's draft and follow is back now, but that's when draft and follow was bigger and they could keep rights and all that stuff. And so, you know, Diamondbacks ended up taking me. I remember my dad telling me I wasn't ready to sign. I had to go to college and I was, that, at the time that was devastating. Looking back, no, I probably wasn't ready. Um, but so that was kind of, you know, it is a stressful time. It's the most stressful time for every family when you go through it. And then college-wise, I kind of knew, you know, knew it would be late. I had had some injury stuff, you know, had like a partial tear in my UCL and all this stuff. So I knew there'd be a chance to go late. In my in my college draft, my second draft, I was actually fishing when I got the call. You know, I was um, at one of the lakes, I was doing a little bass fishing, got a call, and, you know, said they were going to take me. And I was like, oh, this is great. You know, so, um, so a good call to get when you're fishing. 
but um the the college one wasn't as, wasn't as stressful because kind of been through it once already but high, high school it's tough man like you got a lot of decisions to make you got different people giving you different ideas you know a lot of people tell you what they think you should do and you don't know what you should do but i'm lucky enough my you know my how my dad handled the, my draft prospect or my draft the whole process in high school is a lot different than i do it now as an you know agent like he was like oh you know it, just ask for this and if you get it great if you don't don't it's like there there's there was no i always tell my dad I was like i'm glad you're a hitting coach because you wouldn't be a good agent you know so we <laughs> always that's always a good joke we you know we have and so but yeah it is a stressful time but you know as long as as long as you have the information you're prepared it can, it can be a smooth process yeah i'm sure and you mentioned something really important that i talk a lot about and a lot of people that come on are big advocates for it uh, you mentioned that you had interest in like the junior college part of it and i yeah. found great great value in going to you know junior college naia yep. uh, a lot of players do it and i feel like it's kind of overshadowed by the big sexy four-year universities but a lot of people don't understand that it's best to go where you're going to play and if you're going to go yes. to your school and you're going to sit the first two years what good is it you know so how, how important yep. is junior college and i guess you could answer that from an agent standpoint too also as a player standpoint uh because yeah. I, I find some Great value. It's kind of underrated in a lot of ways. No, it is. I mean, I went to junior college um, for a year. My little brother's in junior college. My dad went to junior college. Um, junior, you got to go play, right? Especially now, it's uh, with the transfer portal. It's not, you know, you could you could go to a four year school and think you're going to, you know, play as a freshman. All of a sudden, they bring in a 22 year old from a different conference that you know come in and take a spot. Like that happens. I mean, is is junior college for everybody? No. I mean, four years are great too. But there are scenarios where junior college is the best bet. You go, you play, you got a younger class, you know, as especially, you know, as an agent, I'm a big junior college fan. You know, Jake Madden, you know, a year and a half ago, he went to Northwest Florida. He was a fourth rounder, you know, signed for a million dollars, double slot. Like, you know, now he's a top prospect with Colorado. He got traded from um, Anaheim to Colorado. Um, Beck Way, Beck Way left a four-year school, went to junior college for a year, like, you know, signing the fifth round for, you know, $600,000. Um, guys are going down there and making making some, you know, good money in the draft, but they're also going to, to play. One thing about junior college is there's no rules for practice, right? Like you can, NCAA has rules for division one, division two. Um, with junior college, they have the whole fall season. Like you know, my, my little brother, I think they've played nine games already this fall. Yeah. And, it's, you know, it's not even, not even halfway through October. So they got a lot more to play. So the, just the junior college is good. It's, you know, you go, you can get more reps, get more practice time. But I always tell, I always tell guys, if you're going to go junior college, like you, you got to have discipline, right? Cause it's like, you gotta, you're going to have long practice days. You still gotta be able to go get your extra work in. Um, but there's so many great junior colleges out there. And, you know, I know a lot of the coaches and stuff, all great guys. And they're, you know, it, I think junior college helps prepare you for the minor league season because it is a grind. It's long bus rides. Like, you know, you're getting your McDonald's instead of, you know, instead of the Chipotle catering or whatever, you know, getting your meal on the bus and hitting the road or whatever. So it does, you know, it's kind of, it's the Juco, Juco bandit scene, right? Like, you know, it teaches guys how to grind and get after it. And it kind of it does prep them for the minor league life because it is, it's a hard life. It's minor league baseball is very tough. Yeah, no doubt. There's been a few joke, uh, Juco bandits on here before. So, Love there we to go. And especially since like, I mean, if you go to junior college, you know, the turnover at a school like Stanford, like you're not going to transfer in, you know, into Stanford, those guys for the most part are the same uh, all yep. four years, but 
you're going to play. Like, I feel like that's just so undervalued the fact that, that you're going to play it. And honestly, if I see a guy, like if I go and watch like a four-year school, uh, four-year university, like I could identify like that guy probably went to junior college. Like there's just something yeah. about the grittiness of, of guys that could kind yeah. of put it out easily. Um, and, and since you, obviously your, your career's over, you became a, a certified MLBPA agent. Um, you you kind of referred to it earlier as something that was always in the back of your mind uh with the relationships with the 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 desire to kind of advise different players um i guess why was why was it a calling i guess a deeper a deeper answer why was it a calling to to join the business side of of the sport oh well i think i saw the i saw the team side for so long right with my dad playing and coaching and me playing and you know the front offices and i kind of one thing is a player in the minor league. Like, you know, there's always questions you have, and you don't know how to how how to ask them or who to ask them to because you don't want to seem like that guy. And so that was kind of always a difficult thing too. Like, man, like, where am I going, or what's why am I going to this level, not that level? Um, you know, when do I get to go home for rehab? You know, from rehab if I'm injured for the off season. There's so many questions, and so I kind of guys with good agents can get those questions answered pretty quick, right? I'm also, I'm, I'm a relationship guy. You know, I, you know, I, I like dealing with the contract side, the business side, just as much as I do when my guys get engaged, you know, and, you know, them showing me the rings they're going to pick out or when they get married and going to their weddings or being a, being a part of their life, kind of deal, dealing with tribulations too, you know, when they, when they do go through injury, helping them find maybe a second opinion doctor they need to use or um, helping them with whatever hardship may come, it's kind of helping them be a voice of reason or just someone in their corner at all times. I, I just really appreciate the relationship part. Mm -hmm. So that, that was what drove me to the agency business. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like you, I mean, I'm sure you feel like you have a leg up and kind of an advantage being a former professional player. I mean, that has to help. And you, you played the sport like not too long ago, very recently you're young, right? I mean, uh, yeah. you, you have, yeah, I, a lot of people, who are coming up through the minor leagues and through college probably have more of a desire to connect with like a, a younger, a younger agent, I'd assume. How much does the yep. playing experience kind of uh, separate you from other agents? Well, I, I think it helps a bunch, right? Cause I've lived it. I've been there. It's the, you know, you mentioned earlier about um, my facilities and stuff, right. You know, the training, training institutes. And so one thing I tell guys, especially with pitchers, it's, um, it's, the players earn every dollar they make in this game. It's not some slick negotiating tactic that I use or, you know, so my job is to make sure they don't take a bad deal. They, they earn their money, you know? Um, so I tell guys as a former player, it's like, Hey man, if you're, if you're 92, if you're 92, 94 with a good slaughter, right. You know, command the strike zone and you know, you're worth X amount. If you're 96, 98 with a good breaking ball, your value is more, right? So it's kind of, if you play better, if you pitch better, hit better, you're going to make more money. And so that's kind of where the development side, my development background comes in. I, I tell pitchers all the time, you know, hey, you know, with the facility guys we train, we're averaging 3.7 miles per hour over a three-month training block. If, if you can just stick to our average and we can get you, you know, from 94 to 97, 98, that's going to create value. So I'm big on the development side, the training side. And also the, the one part with the company and the agency is, you know, I do have the playing background you know, the development background, all that stuff. But also I have a guy named Anthony Aloisi. He was, um, uh, he was in analytics with Seattle for, um, I think four or five years and he was a scout with Oakland. And so he brings that whole more team front office side, the scouting, the, 
analytics, the algorithms. So it's kind of, we've got the former player and we've got the former, you know, team, team analyst side. So it's kind of the two sides that normally don't get along. We kind of brought in together to where we can figure out what's this guy's value. How's it going to look from the team side? What's the computer say? Obviously with me, you know, playing and then in the agency business for, you know, seven years now, the empirical decision-making ability, we got to have that too. Um, so kind of got a good mix of all, like the former player side, you know, development, helping guys, helping guys get better between the lines. I think a lot of agenting is done outside the lines, but development, we can help them with development. It's going to make them better between the lines. I'm big on that. Like how can, how can we help you between the lines? Cause that's what really produces your value. So long answer to your question, but yeah, I think, I think the former player part helps being there, lived it, knowing how to train, you know, throwing programs in the off season, knowing when to start, what's too early, what's too late. So I, I think it does help. And I guess also trying to build up like a clientele and, and for those that maybe want to do anything in sports in terms of the business side of being an agent, what would be your advice to, you know, for them to kind of build a clientele? How did you do it? Who who are the type of players that you're, you're kind of eyeing? How do you find that relationship and how do you build it? Yeah. Well, so my first five years in the business, I worked at Beverly Hills Sports Council, you know, out, out in LA. Danny Horowitz, um, you know, owns Beverly Hills. I can't say enough good things about him. Um, you know, Danny was not only a great boss, but, you know, just a great mentor, great friend. Still talk to him to this day. But um, so being able to learn from a guy like that, who's done it for a long time. I think he's been in the agency game since he was, you know, 19 years old, something like that. So, knowing, you know, being able to learn from a guy like that is – was really helpful, right? You know, learn from one of the, you know, pioneers of the business. I think he's one of the best agents out there. I think that's probably bad, bad business on my end, right? Boosting another agent over me. But, you know, as much as he helped me, as much as I learned from him, learned the business, all that stuff, I'll never be able to say enough good things about him. So being able to learn about, you know, learn from him. Um, one thing you got to build your network, right? You got to be places. You got to grind in this business. You got to, you know, scouts know who the players are and where there's that. So being able to, you know, meet scouts and, you know, the cross checkers and front office guys and directors, all this stuff and being able to ask them like, Hey man, I think about going to going after this guy. What do you think? Um, so you kind of got to have an eye for the talent too. Like we have, you know, we have a whole scouting department within the agency where we got guys going to identify and find this guy, you know, all across the country and all this stuff. So really you got to have an eye for it. Um, the, the model of the objectives of the business are pretty simple. Like you want to find the really good players, right? Like it's, so going to the perfect game events or PBR events for the draft, going to the fall league for pro stuff or spring training or low A, high A games, all that stuff. So that's, that's kind of the way to do it. You just got to get out there and go find guys. And I, I'm going to, I'm just going to shoot as many random agent questions as I possibly can, because yeah, maybe by, the, by the end of this, I'm going to like consider another career. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, so what's the, I guess, what's the, the pitch. So when you have, when you have, I guess, uh, when you go to these perfect game events, um, what's the pitch that you give them? Is it, you know, how do you persuade them or convince them that you're the most helpful person for the job? Because I'm sure a lot of them have maybe other, you know, interests as well from other agencies. So what what yeah. would be your pitch? Well, I, I tell guys all the time, it's all about the fit. I'm not going to, you know, pretend I'm the best guy for everybody, right? You know, it's more, I'm, um, you know, I'm more of a nuts and bolts guy, not a bells and whistles guy, right? You know, I kind of, I like the fact, I'm, you know, attention to detail with the contract and everything that's negotiable into that. Um, if it's like, 
you know, if you're if it's more about the courtside seats to the Lakers game, like that's not really that's not me as much, right? Um, so you know, more about the facts, nuts and bolts, the relationship, um, being you know data driven. We use a lot of data, algorithms, all that stuff. But so the and the relationship part, and then also the development. The the company, you know, is two years old. It's like we had two guys make their debuts this year. Um, last year for the first draft after twenty two. It was, you know, headlined by guys like Blade Tidwell. You know, Blade's a good story, right? He was a 50-second pick overall. I think slot was $1.35 million or something like that. He signed for $1.85, right? But with Blade, it was interesting because he got hurt. Um, he had some, um, like, a shoulder impingement in the fall of his um, sophomore year. He was draft-eligible sophomore, so not a junior draft. got drafted as a draft-eligible sophomore. But hurt his shoulder, thought he was going to miss the season. We ended up getting in with Dr. Krimchek up in Ohio got a second opinion, got him on a return to throw program, and he came back towards the end of the season. And Blade only threw 36 innings that year. And so, you know, you do some simple math, you know, he signed for $1.85 million, only threw 36 innings or 39 innings, you know, around $49,000 per inning pitched in college. He got paid. So, like, that's a good deal. Um, who we talk, we're talking, going back to the JUCO route thing, um, Jake Madden, you know, was a fourth rounder. Slot was like 490 grand. He signed for a million dollars. Like that was, we knew his value. We stuck to, you know, stuck to it. And we, um, Jake wanted a million dollars. He, you know, we had offers for 875 and 950 and 925. And he stuck to his guns in a million. And then, you know, the trust factor that me and him had when I told him to turn down, you know, $950,000 because it wasn't a million, he was able to do that. And then we got our million, you know, end up getting the million in the fourth round, had to wait an extra day, but it happens. But um, guys like that, um, Bryce Eldridge this year, I mean, 16th overall pick, you know, the American Otani, two-way player. Um, one thing people forget about Bryce is his sophomore summer, he really struggled as a hitter. I want to say he had, you know, two or three hits all summer. Like, he struggled. And then, but going into East Coast Pro that year, they wanted to come, you know, as just a PO. That's kind of when the whole PO thing started. Oh, he's just a pitcher, just a pitcher. Um and, you know, I, I never believed that. I thought he was a two-way. I knew he could hit. It's athletic. So, you know, pretty left-handed swing. He doesn't strike out much, plus power, all that stuff. And so kind of just being able to have him stick to his guns. No, man, you're not a P.O. You're going to hit. Um, if they want you to come as a P.O., we just won't go. Won't play for that team or whatever, right? So being able to – we're going to we're gonna stick to our ideals and our, our beliefs in our company, right? Like, you know, we're going to do what's best for the player every single time. For Bryce, you know, I, I knew it was a two-way thing. I knew he needed the two-way. He wasn't he wasn't just an arm. So sticking to the two in two-way, him, you know, even when he was struggling that sophomore summer and being able to still just keep working in the cage and keep getting better, where you know, a year and a half later, he's the MVP of Team USA and hitting the homers and you know all that all that stuff. So part of our pitch is just like we're going to believe in you. We're going to do everything we possibly can. So I wouldn't say there's a pitch per se. We just, we just try to be real people and, you know, show what we've done in the past, show the deals we've done and everything like that. And then if it's, if it's a good fit, then that's even better. Well, now I know who to get Lakers tickets, uh, court courtside Lakers tickets from when I sign on as your only media guy in the agent. <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah. Exactly. Back to Bryce. Cause I'm intrigued with Bryce and I know a lot of giants people are intrigued with Bryce. Um, yeah. How did that relationship begin? How did you meet him? And uh, I mean, how proud of you, uh, how proud of you, uh, whatever, how proud are you of him? They are <laughs> the other way around. Say, you get it. You get it. Just no, 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 I get it. Bryce and, you know, he's somebody that is is 
expected to be a fast rider riser through the Giants organization. And he was in San Jose low A this year, uh, ended up doing a really good job down the stretch during their, their playoff run. Um, so, I mean, what's your expectations for Bryce in the future and uh, how did that relationship start? Oh, so one thing I've learned on expectations for Bryce is don't set him because he will exceed him. You know, it's <laughs> kind of, I've always, I mean, it's just true. He's, he's that type of person. He's that type of player. Everything, you know, I thought he would be at 15. He's just ended up being better. You know, it's kind of, he's got the work ethic. He's got the moxie, the makeup, you know, I can't say enough good things about Bryce. Um, I met him when he was, I saw him in high school, right. You know, when he was, well, he's, I think he's 228 now. I, back then he was like 6'5", you know, 170, right? Like, you know, just a tall stick. But um, he was athletic. Like, in high school, he's a good football player, safety, you know, receiver, athletic. Um, he was throwing hard for his age. Not crazy hard. He was up to like, you know, I think 94, 93. It's not like he was throwing 100 that early. But that's hard for a 15-year-old, you know. So he's kind of doing everything. But the thing that stuck out was when he pitched, it wasn't your typical – Young, you know, young player that has the stuff and doesn't throw strikes. He always threw strikes, always had feel for a breaking ball. And then the hitting, he always had the power and he just never really struck out. There was, there was never like whether it was velo or a good breaking ball, like he was going to put the ball in play and make hard contact. And, um, you know, just kind of the, the confidence he has too. You know, it's like he's, he's super humble, but he's confident. He's not, you know, he's, uh, there's a lot of meekness with Bryce. So he kind of always knew that he was going to be, going to be good. So it was, you know, going through the whole high school process and, you know, committing to college, you commit to Alabama's dream school, you know, all that stuff. Like, so just couldn't be more happy for him. Are you sure he's 18? <laughs> I know, you get that question asked. He's one of the, it, it's funny, you know, I'm, I'm 6'6", you know, 250 pounds, whatever. Like, he's one of the few people that stand next to me. I'm kind of like looking up like, man, like I, I feel normal size, right? Like, so it's kind of, it's always funny. He just, He's just a freak. I, I wasn't working the day he he came in and visited Oracle Park or anything, but everybody everybody told me that he did not look eighteen. He, he just looked yeah. way older, and that's uh, uh, definitely uh, really cool that he's getting off to a fast start. Um, yeah, especially as um the mustache doesn't help the age look either when he's rocking rocking the stash, right? Like that was always a battle. Like, hey man, like you know, you should probably shave. He's like. Nah, it gets me hits. I'm like, oh, if it gets you hits, keep it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Hey, whatever so, gets you hits, keep it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, back to kind of the agent stuff. And I always feel like the financial aspect of it, you know, is always the most complicated and it would certainly keep me from doing it. Um, so as someone with little to no financial literacy, me, uh, I, I feel like I'd fall flat with any type of negotiation. So did you, did, was it kind of an acquired taste trying to figure out how to get used to the numbers or were you always kind of a number guy? No, I've always been a numbers guy. You know, it's kind of, it's a uh, history repeats itself, right? Maybe not with Bryce because being the two-way player, a little bit different, but there's, this game's been played for so long. There's been so many players drafted and do deals and stuff. It's kind of, you can find comps, right? There's, there's going to be a guy that, you know, looks like your guy, or was similar, or maybe your guy's a little bit better than, and there's all, most of the time there's going to be a guy that was better than your guy too, right? So it's kind of, you can find that median. You find guys that were a little bit better, got this, a little bit you know less, got this. And so you kind of find that median, find the comps. And then one thing that I'm just so fortunate with is having, you know, our Anthony with our analytics and everything where he can kind of, he sets his values based on just straight numbers and 
the, you know, the algorithms and all that stuff. And then I'm more looking at, you know, guys in the past I've seen or maybe deals I've done. Kind of, kind of um, a few different routes, right? I think my, can you hear me fine? My computer just said my speaker was. Yep, I got you. Is it good? Cool, cool. Um, so kind of using the different, just the different algorithms and everything like that. <laughs> you want to say hey? We got a visitor. Oh, we do. You want to say hi? Hi. <laughs> Sorry, Steven. She wants a little, little candy, I guess. So she will help you out right there. I want can you wave? Can you, can you wave? Yeah, you can sit right there, baby. Is she one but of your yeah, clients, no, I'm assuming? Uh, oh, yeah. This is going to be my um my first LPGA um, yeah. athlete. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's what we're going to go for. So, oh, yeah. But, um, but yeah, that's that's kind of my answer on the value part, just kind of figuring out the um, – that's coffee. Just give me a minute. I, I'm talking, and then I'll be glad to help you. There you go. But um, sorry about that, Stephen. This is – She's um with me all the time. That's my that's my vice president right there. Yeah. So um, but um, yeah. So the finance part, like I said, just it's uh, it's I've always just been super curious about players' values and contracts and you know everything like that. I've always just been super curious about it. So you know, diving into it and finding values is fun for me. You know, we kind of I, I like to I always kind of set my values in my head what I think they'll be a year out, and then I do it six months out. Then I do it three months out, and then I'll do it a week before the draft, and then I kind of see, you know, be able to show, and I and I always sign it and date it on paper, so it's like that way when I show because like Bryce is I put Bryce at three point five in January of the draft year, and I was like I think this is the bottom line, and I showed him that. So this is your I think this is your worst case scenario, and he ended up getting four, so you know stuff like that. Um, and I was actually I was closer. I was at four a week before, but. Being being able to be six months out and showing him that and you know who our comps were and everything like that and what it looked like, um, kind of made the draft process easier for him too because I was like, hey, rainy day, worst case, this is it. So, yeah, that's awesome. And kind of more of the like the agent stuff here before we wrap up. I mean, let's say someone like really needs something and they call you. What's usually the the need when they call? Right? What's the most common call that you get? Is it just to chat about a game? Is it a necessity that's needed? Like, what's the most common call well, that you'll get? So for for pro guys, normally something broke, glove lace, shoe spike. Right? That's my next you know, question. Bats, bats. <laughs> like that's the for pro guys. That's it. Um, or they're just calling chat. Hey, what's up, man? You know, like or you know, every, everything like that. Or if it's hitters, they normally want to talk about abs. You know, they're like, hey, you know, is Turner free? My dad's Turner. Like, oh, yeah, I'm sure he is. Or pitchers, it's like, hey, I'm thinking about changing my grip on my breaking ball to get more horizontal. It's like, it's stuff like that, right? And then in the draft, it's more like, hey, man, like, you know, these five teams, you know, text me today and want to set up a meeting or these guys were at my game or, you know, just kind of asking for info. I've kind of, the way I run my business, my relationship with my guys, is kind of just always open-ended communication. It's not like it ever stops or starts. It's like, you know, some of them, you know, will hit me up once a week and we'll kind of talk about whatever. Some, some's every couple of days. They're, they're all just different. It's all, you know, all, all just different how, how or when or what it is. Yeah, so it's not a lot of like, hey, I want out. No. <laughs> no, nah, nah, not really. That's like the the very dramatic thing that you often, like the the worst case scenario that uh, that agents go through. Um, yeah. yeah, to the equipment, like how often, like 
do you have do certain guys have like deals with certain sponsors like you know is, is a guy only subjected to a wilson glove or a rawlings glove or a2000s you know what's the equipment uh scene like yeah so it's kind of like you said some guys have deals um most guys with us have deals whether it's a glove deal or you know shoe deal or bat deal whatever it may be but um that they all they've all got different deals they've all got um if they don't have a deal, then we'll, we'll help them get it. Hey, look, I'm on, I'm on the Zoom call. Hey, you can, you can use that. Take um, a picture of you. <laughs> she, she found my old GoPro in the garage. Oh, and so now, yeah. So now she like videos the dog and videos, the, yeah. you know, whatever, whatever. So, but um, so let's have deals. You know, get them deals or you know, in the agency itself, we have discount codes with everybody and stuff. You know, and then MLB regulates how much we can spend per player per year. You know, stuff like that. But most of the time they have, you know, exclusive deals like um, Wilson Rawlings, you know, whatever. I mean, JL Glove Company is, you know, one of the up-and-coming up and coming glove companies I like a lot. You know, really good guys with Tyson over there and stuff like that. But um, so all, all different ways, you know, gears the ever-evolving, ever-evolving world. Yeah, social media, you could just put out a, you know, start up something on social media and it could go viral. Like the 44 gloves I've seen on Instagram for years. And now, yeah. you know, a lot of players are, are bringing this up to the big leagues, but um, yeah. if you break one of those deals, do, you, do they just drop you flat out? They Like you, you get seen. They wearing, can, yeah. Like, get, you yeah. get terminated. Yeah. All that stuff. But I've, um, all, all my, all my guys know how I am with our word, you know, and sticking to our word. So I, I've fortunate enough. I've never had a guy break a deal. Yeah, I was. I've always wondered, like, what if like Steph Curry just wears Nike instead of Under Armour? What would happen? <laughs> yeah, I'm but, sure Steph. I'm sure Steph would have a couple fines in there, a little termination pay or something like that. So yeah, they they wouldn't terminate him. <laughs> I don't think they'd yeah, terminate him. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, that's all I got for you, man. This was awesome, and I really appreciate you you joining the show. And I, I think a lot of people out there who might want to go into the business side hopefully learned a lot and people who are playing that maybe ultimately want to go into the business side. I think they learned a lot and, and this was really awesome. And I really appreciate you, uh, you hopping on the show. Yeah, no, no problem, man. I enjoyed yeah. it. We'll have to do it again. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime. And uh, anybody want to listen to the podcast more and follow us on Twitter and Instagram, go ahead, do that at RizzoCast. Go check us out. Thank you everybody for listening and uh, enjoy the MLB playoffs. We'll be back with more and see you next time.